Welcome to the Healthified Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Not only have I come to better understand the tools we can use to become healthier human beings, but I love gaining new insights and perspectives from others in the field and sharing the health with all of you. This episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our nutrition bars are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit Gratified.com and use the promo code Healthified at checkout. Today's guest is Laura Lee Bryant. Laura Lee is a chef, cookbook author, and creator behind her website, Laurelie Balanced. She spent her postgraduate years in New York City, living a lifestyle that one day made her realize didn't make her very happy. This is when her interest in healthy food and cooking launched her into what is now her career. After enrolling in the Natural Gourmet Institute, she never looked back. She felt what it meant to feel aligned and is now living her passion each day, immersed in an online community who resonate with her, her recipes, message, and overall amazing energy. In our conversation, we discuss what it takes to change your path, how culinary school influenced her relationship with food, her advice for creating a better mindset around cooking, and her new meal plan service she offers to make meal prep fun again. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Larley. Hi, Sarah. Oh, it's so good to see your face. Thank you so much for hopping on here and having this conversation with me. I'm so excited to chat with you. And, you know, even though you and I go way back, I feel like I always learn more about your story every time we talk. So really excited. Thank you for having me. And this has been such a long time coming. I feel like this is selfishly such a great way for us to just talk to each other. So I know. Do you remember it was a couple years ago where I was like, will you ever do a podcast with me? And you just had so much going on on your plate at that point where you were probably like, stop talking. But I always had this like vision of like you and I having some type of conversation like this. So this is so fun. Yeah, totally. And also I still would be terrible, I think, at having a podcast. So like being able to talk to you and like your venue through your avenue was so much better than me trying to do something on my own. So, (laughs) Um, okay. So for those people who are listening or watching and don't know anything about you, um, could you just introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are now? Yes. So my name is Laura Lee. I'm a holistic chef, which basically means that I went to culinary school for healthy-ish cooking to really understand the relationship between food and not just your body, but your brain as well. And I went to culinary school in New York City, which is kind of where I had my big life realization. And Sarah was with me really every step of the way um, with a lot of that. And I just really struggled. I really struggled when I was in the city. I had horrible anxiety and, and food and nutrition and cooking and learning about this kind of bigger relationship really was like my therapy and kind of my salvation. So after culinary school, um, so I found this amazing natural, you know, called the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York, which not doesn't really exist anymore. But um, and I and I graduated. It's it, so it's been like subsumed by the Institute of Culinary Education. I think you can like. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not like its own freestanding school anymore. But it was amazing, and I knew I wanted to move back to Nashville, which is where I'm from to start my business, but I I didn't want to do that. I mean, I was in New York for five years and wanted to leave the whole time, but I didn't want to just kind of come back home with my tail between my legs and not know what to do. So when I finally graduated, I was like, okay, I have something that I can come home and hopefully, you know, start a business and just really took it from there. Yeah. And so going into this culinary program, did you have any kind of idea or did you just sort of go into it with this open mind of let's see where this leads? Like, did you kind of have any inkling for a path that you wanted to pursue after you got out? You know, that's such a good question. I mean, not really. I think had I taken a stab at what I would do with my holistic chef degree, I think I probably would have, um, I'm not even, I'm honestly not sure. I know the one core for me was I loved creating recipes and doing photography, 
which I know you love as well. That was always kind of the foundation. I thought if nothing else, I can come back to just creating recipes for people. I knew I didn't want to be like a traditional restaurant chef, but I didn't know if that would be like private chefing or one-on-one consulting, or if I would become a blogger, which, you know, I guess sort of close to what I'm doing now. Um, But it was really like kind of throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. And can you kind of explain to people what that looked like in terms of making your decision to go to culinary school? Because I think a lot of people who have been following you for a while and are in your audience might not realize that you had um, a first blog that you kind of talked about healthy living and healthy cooking and all that stuff. So kind of explain what that like preliminary path looked like up until um, yeah, I love that because, you know, <laughs> Amy Bumble. the only person, one of like very few people who would even ever know that. And so there was this kind of like background and, you know, and which is, I think having a resurgence a little bit. So, you know, when, when I was getting into healthy cooking and I kind of around, I think when Sarah was as well, getting into this world, the blogger world, world was really big. There was not Instagram and a lot of social media, but there are people who poured their heart and their soul into these kind of like daily blogs and this lifestyle. And I think it was like that lifestyle aspect that I really fell in love with. And so I did have this blog called Beanie Bumbles because Nick, my name is LLB and Beanie, like some variation of that. And it was really like where I first started sharing it. It was more lifestyle initially until I realized I'm more, I think I'm just more of a private person than that. And I ended up not really loving that for me. But I do think it has been important in the last six months in particular, as I think a lot of us have struggled with social media because it's, I think it's changed some and it's a hard world to be in to remember that there are still people who are making a good living and showing awesome, consistent content through blogs. Like people do still read them. So yeah, that was like, that was like the OG. And that's kind of how we like, I mean, obviously we went to college together, but just kind of connecting over that. And um, I think you and I share a very similar story circa mid twenties into later twenties where we found ourselves kind of breaking away from the college mentality that was very centered around like partying and going out and especially in New York city um, and just being able to kind of carve out that outlet um, to be able to kind of, healthify your lifestyle, I guess, to use that buzzword. Um, and, and just have something to feel fulfilled around again. So, um, no, I love that because I do think that that kind of like created this little spark of the path that you ended up going down. Yeah. I mean, Sarah and I went, I mean, a lot of, there are a lot of party schools. Virginia is definitely, I think a work hard, play hard school. And we were, because, you know, people from our high schools, like went there and we knew people in sororities or whatever or in our sorority it was sort of like our our path felt like it was carved out for us and there are plenty of people i'm sure who were at virginia when we were there who lived very different lives they weren't in the scene that we were in um you know in in that kind of sorority fraternity constant partying scene and spending probably way more money than you know a lot of like is really appropriate in college to be spending um, whether we had it or not. Cause it was yeah. <laughs> like the Joneses mentality. Right. Yeah. And so we didn't have much balance in college. Like we really right. didn't realize that you can take care of yourself. And there's this whole other world that we could choose to be a part of that we didn't know. Cause really, I mean, the amount that we went out in college even as young as like 22 and 23, when we were getting into living in New York, like it was taking a toll for sure. For sure. Um, So you mentioned that when you went to the Natural Gourmet Institute, that it was centered around a healthier cooking food philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I absolutely love your current food philosophy, the LL Balanced Approach to Food, which we'll get into in a little bit and how that's evolved. But how did that program like influence because you already had like healthier living on your brain when you enrolled so how did that really influence your food philosophy and just your view of holistic health in general being able to connect food to brain health and mood and all the things Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's interesting because even though by the time I went to culinary school, it was probably a year into really a lot of this kind of wellness journey. I was like deep diving into books and, and um, blogs and that kind of thing. But I still was definitely in like a calories in, calories out mentality, like a lot of calorie counting and a lot of like low fat, light versions of things. That was still a little bit of my idea of what it meant to be healthy. And then going to culinary school, which was so focused on whole foods and um, abundance instead of deprivation and choice and like the experience of cooking and eating and community with the people in your class and all of that, it really started to shape a, a much healthier sense of um, of what, you know, what people should be putting in their bodies and not should, but sort of like what it means to take care of yourself versus what the diet culture tells you. Yeah. And that brings me to like another really good point just about, um, well, a couple sides of this coin. Obviously everyone has a relationship with food. Um, it can be a very emotional experience. And as women, we tend to have more of an emotional relationship with food. Um, than men, not to use a generalization, but it, it can be true. Um, yeah. And then not only it being about what you eat, but also how you eat. And I just love, I'm like, just envisioning you in this program with like your fellow students just gathered around a table and the, the energy is, seems just like very positive. Um, yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about um, how your relationship with food has kind of evolved since then, and then how you implement certain practices around the eating experience to make sure that it is one that's like positive and happy and um, not only nourishing, but nurturing, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because even when I left so culinary school, absolutely. I had been in corporate New York where people are just freaking mean. Like, and I don't say that lightly, but I had some like mean girl experiences. And it's yeah. just, it's, it is a dog eat dog world. And then I went to culinary school and it was so warm and so nurturing and so loving and supportive. And um, that really changed my life enormously, just realizing that there was a totally different way to treat people. And I also would say I was like, kind of a mean person sometimes then yeah. in life. Like that was a defense mechanism for sure. And I just, culinary school made me a much softer, more gentle person, really a lot stronger in a lot of ways, but I think a lot kinder. And mm -hmm. I, you know, and then I took that with me as I started my business, but I've now been doing this for eight years. And I would say as time goes on, I am less and less interested in the food itself. Like the food is super mm -hmm. important. Um, but for the, what I personally share through my philosophy, I am more interested. Food is, food is a great way to bring people in to show that share recipes with them. And there are a lot of people who really need it. Like I'm, you know, especially with my books and my blog, those are meant for people who have real intolerances and sensitivities and right. immune diseases. Like that's super important. But what I'm more interested in talking about now is the mindset and perspective stuff. And you guys talk about that a lot too. And I really like that you kind of infuse your newsletters and just the whole culture of Gratified has that like top down approach where it's like, if you don't have a healthy relationship with your mind and your, you know, and your body and the way that you're looking at the eating experience, mm -hmm. it, you're never going to have a good relationship with food. Right. Right. And I, and I always like to say, um, you know, the eating experience is almost like this microcosm of mindfulness. And I'm actually, you know, writing, finally writing my Counting Colors book, which Yay. You know, like, maybe I'll publish it in 2030, who knows. <laughs> but um, it talks all about this and the lens through which you look and how um, the eating experience can kind of be this example of that type of lens that you're looking through and how a lot of people um, especially with a history of dieting or depriving or what have you tend to have this more anxious view of the eating experience, which then um, actually negatively affects the way they metabolize food and um, how it kind of builds onto their relationship with food. So there's this 
physiological effect and this energetic effect that actually goes into play that can be crazy. So I love just in how your approach, how it's like really evolved to be more about the how and less about the what. Um, and I think that that has seriously shined through, especially with cookbook number two and your simply um, meal plans, which is amazing because I think it's a message that needs to be heard and that most people underestimate because they are so focused on the what and they're so focused on the numbers and um, that people don't realize that the missing piece to the puzzle for so many is the how and the food relationships and the emotions around the eating experience. Oh my gosh. And you know, and I will say people, uh, most people who I think in, are in your community, like they don't really even they didn't know you before or um, see your journey, but I think you are one of the best examples is not the right word. I think we've gone through a similar journey, both of us, but you have really cultivated such a healthy relationship with food that is like so, um, so real and organic. And it, you know, just watching how that has created this like sustainable wellness for you that is not about perfection at all like you really did that i think a lot of people are like oh we just discovered gratified and power bars and they're amazing but they don't really know your story and um so for anyone who's listening sarah really does have like an incredible amount of food freedom and I like watching that was, it, you know, was such a pleasure, especially when you were sharing more kind of like the day to day, like I used to as well. So it's, it's just the coolest feeling. I mean, I can confidently say I probably eat less traditionally healthy in the last few years than I have in like the last 10 years. Um, but I know I'm healthier and it's 100 yeah. because of my mindset. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. And I think that like that right there is freedom, you know? And, um, I was actually even thinking about this yesterday on the way back, we went uh, away for the weekend. And, you know, sometimes when you go away from the weekend and you get a little bit outside your routine and you eat things that you normally don't do. And, um, you can come back feeling like, Oh, I can't wait to just like kind of get back into Mm -hmm. my routine again. But I think about you and all that you share when you go away and, and the amazing deliciousness that you, um, enjoy from like the donut. And here I am being like, yes, I absolutely wish that I could go to a donut shop and have these amazing, but like I would wake up with a face full of acne the next day. So I think it's just a matter of which you communicate is like, everyone is different. Like you do you. And I think what's so great about your message these days, it's like, you're not trying to persuade anyone to really eat the way that you do on a day-to-day basis. Like you're all about that bio-individuality as well. And I think that that is such an important responsibility as someone who like has an audience is like, I'm going to share this from a, like a place of abundance in terms of especially your main message, which is just the real whole foods and the way that um, you want to create a community around food and change people's perceptions of cooking and all of that stuff. Um, But I think, you know, you just do such a great job of staying so authentic and true to you while also like encouraging other people to do that for themselves. Yeah. And and that's such a good point that you bring up because about, you know, acne or whatever it is for each individual person is food freedom. You can you can be keto and have food freedom. Mm-hmm. You can be somebody right. who really needs to stay away from dairy because you're going to be really uncomfortable or have, yeah. you know, real breakouts or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean you don't have food freedom. That is food freedom for you. You know, right. for me, I, um, you know, I just happen to, um, you know, I do get my inflammatory markers checked or whatever. I just have a very tolerant body. Like I just yeah. am able to like eat a lot of. I don't really have anything that sort of bothers me. I am allergic to mango, which Sarah may remember. I actually can't. Yes. Um, but other than that, you know, so for food, for me, food freedom has a lot of flexibility, but it, it, again, like you can be somebody who eats a hundred percent raw food and you still have yeah. food. So it's, it is, it is just about what you're, how you're approaching it rather than the, the content of the food mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, no. And I think that that, um, brings up a, another really good point. Let's say like there's someone who um, 
wants to have more of that mindset around food and to feel a little bit more liberated and embody more positive emotions. Like what, you know, and obviously you and I aren't doctors or nutritionists or RDs or anything like that. So, you know, with people who would have history of eating disorders, that's a whole other thing, but what kind of advice or tips would you provide somebody who just wants to feel a little bit more free? Because it is something that is still so, um, that permeates our culture and our society. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the times it can be something that people overthink. So what is something that you would say to someone who's like, I, I want to find a little bit more food freedom. What advice would you give? So, yeah, so there's a couple things you can do and, and there's, it's a great caveat that this is not for people who are actively struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder. Anyone who is going through that or even thinks that they maybe should work, be working with a team, with a therapist and a, and a doctor, a dietitian, registered dietitian. Um, but for just sort of like most people who want to find more food freedom, because it's really hard when there's just so much information overload, a couple of things. One is to start to just practice it. So little things that you find yourself wanting to do, you know, like eating, whatever it is. If you've told yourself like certain things are off limits or if you've created, we all, I think a lot of us, even who have pretty healthy relationships with food, we have some like food rules about your, what you're supposed to do or not do. So just really in small ways, start incrementally challenging yourself, just doing those things anyway, and just sit with whatever it feel, what, however you feel like, you know, whatever emotions come up from that, just sit in it and just yeah. do it anyway. So just practice it is really so much of it. Just getting over those, um, getting over those little micro fears. And then another thing is that's a really good practice in with any aspect of your life is remembering that the, it's the drama and the story around it. That's the problem. So write that out. What, what are the stories you're telling yourself? Because we know that like a donut is not an evil. It's not actually evil, you know, like right. there's no emotion. It, right. With, with a donut. So write out like, what, are, what is the story about eating the donut that I'm telling myself and, and what is the drama around it? And then what is another way to look at that? Because there are equally valid perspectives. You could say, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this donut, which means I'm going to then eat 12 donuts and then I'm going to go off the rails and everything is, that I've done has gone to shit. That's what, excuse me. And that's what a lot of people say, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. why they feel out of control. And that's why one donut does sometimes turn into a dozen donuts. But if you go into it and you're like, what would my mindset have been when I was eight years old about this donut? It's like, mm, this mm. tastes good. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really present with it. I'm not in like a fight or flight, like drama mode about it. I'm just enjoying it. And most of the time your body is going to be like, cool, that was delicious. And like, maybe you'll want one other donut, but most of the time your body just kind of naturally stops itself when you don't have, when it's not being propelled by this idea that like, I'm just going to go, you know, all in and then like start over the next day. Like, right. Um, so what is another perspective that is just as true? Well, one example is I can eat this donut and also eat, you know, have make nutritious choices for the rest of the day or not, but I, I have complete control and it's just a donut. Yes. I love that. And I think what's important to highlight here is the mentality around the thought process, right? So let's take that example of the, eating the donut and, and you have um, someone who, you know, might have more fear around it. So the story is more fearful, like exactly your points that you just made, or kind of to my point of what I was saying earlier, it's like, okay, um, I know that if I eat something that's like laden with dairy, that I'm going to break out the next day. To me, that is more neutral, right? That's like a little bit more objective. That's not necessarily coming from a place of fear. That's coming from right. a place of self-care. So it's like, I care more about not breaking out than I do about eating the donut. Because I know I could make just a delicious choice that might serve my body better, but I'm not here like with all of this anxiety and stories ruminating around in my head or guilt for even feeling that way. Or if I was to even yeah. eat the donut and just, you know, like get the zit or whatever, whatever, I'll move on. I'll do a benzonite clay mask and call it a day. Right. Sure. Like, so it's just like, you know, it's just, it's, totally. important for, it's for, important for people to understand that when they unpack the stories, 
is it coming from a place of fear or is it coming from more something a little bit more neutral and then go from there too? Because you're so right. It's just all about the stories that create the extra layer of unnecessary fluff that doesn't need to be there when it comes to food, because food is, we judge it, right? We put it into the camps of good versus bad, but it's neither. Um, it can be nutritious or not nutritious, or it can serve you or it cannot serve you. Um, so when it comes to building a more positive food relationship, I think really analyzing those stories is important. And also knowing that they stem back to like early childhood for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and that's where I do think, yeah, I love that because, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just the data of one person's choice who is gluten intolerant is like, I'm going to feel absolutely terrible. Yeah. So it's probably just not worth it for me to have it, but I'm, but there's, it's not emotional. It's just data. I don't want to have right. stomach cramps for the next three days. Yes. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. And I also think it is worth, you know, I do believe in some kind of, whether it's like coaching or therapy or figuring out what the right thing is for you. Um, somebody who can help you understand like kind of where that may be coming from and going back a little bit, I think can just help. Um, it just helps you again, like you said, I think unpack is the perfect word. Like what's, mm -hmm. what, what really is going on in my brain that's causing the behavior because it's not, it's not the food itself. So yeah. Right. And a lot of the times food, um, and the physical realm can kind of serve as that, since it's something that's so easy to, easy to control. A lot of the times it's, it's, when you look under the hood, it's a lot of the times never really about the food or the oh, physical, it's, it's something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit and, um, talk more about you and, um, your books and your services that you're offering because, um, you know, I have both books. I think the second one, I remember texting you after getting it and just being like, wow, like you completely, you and your authentic, um, your authenticity and your energy just completely come through in book number two. So I want to kind of talk about the difference in those processes with writing book one and book two. Um, and then also how book two launched like right at the beginning of COVID. So I'm sure that was um, an interesting experience and how that influenced, you know, the marketing period and things like that. So talk to me a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know me really well. So like you could just see that. Um, I just, yeah. I think I love both of my books. I really do love the recipes in both of them, but my first book definitely reflects a time in my life where I really didn't, I was not really in touch with myself. So the content is, I think is really good, but I don't think there is some of that like spark missing ultimately in how I talk about food and um, and the choices that I made about some of the ingredients, like I'm just more flexible in my second book. So my second book is called Simply Lorelei, and I do feel like it is the most me that, uh, yeah. probably the most me thing that I've put out there. I mean, my meal plans are definitely me, but they're really meant to serve people. Whereas the book is a little bit selfish. Like I want the book to help people, but yeah. Um, the book was kind of a, for me, it was kind of something that I also did for myself to be like, yeah. this is who, this is what I feel like represents me really well and where I'm showing up. And again, it is just more flexible. There's a little bit more dairy. Um, I use some like pizza dough in it to make recipes. So, you know, not a lot of like processed stuff, but much more, I would say definitely much more, um, geared towards the what what the average family is realistically going to make and what they have access to and that kind of thing so i love so i love it and it did it came out i mean i was supposed to have a book tour like right when everything happened which is fine ultimately i've been really blessed in this whole situation but it was definitely a big change to that was my whole plan trajectory was to be right. focused on this book and what happened was essentially that I, um, so that happened and in full disclosure, I also lost all my partnerships and sponsorships, which was my main source of revenue. And I was like, well, I want to pivot and I need to pivot. And where do I see need? And I was going to the grocery store and couldn't find a lot of the specialty ingredients that you and I know and love and use and that are especially important for people who do have intolerances and sensitivities. 
um, like almond flour or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is, coconut milk. But most of the country, most people still don't necessarily need that stuff. Um, right. And I realized that I, I realized that I, I did have, to some extent, kind of um, an inaccessible perspective, an inaccessible set of recipes for a lot of people. Mm. And that's fine if we, because we all need to find our niche. But I just really wanted to serve a wider audience. And I really, I was hearing from so many women in particular like, I don't mind cooking. Like, I don't really mind it. Um, but I don't, I don't like it because it's overwhelming or it's too expensive. Or I can't find anything or I don't think it's going to taste as good. What I call like cooking myths because they are myths. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to create a um, meal plan community that is different from the other meal plans I saw out there that really could help fill that need and make recipes that are super accessible and affordable and that use like a batch cooking structure because I didn't see any other like meal plans that were batch cooking. They were all like basically an algorithm that aggregated, this is what you, you know, you know Monday you make this, Tuesday you make this and just kind of like spit out recipes for the week. But I didn't see anything yeah. that was actually like teaching people how to be proficient cooks by making them practice. It's not sexy. So right. just practice recipes over and over again, but it is super empowering and it does create a ton of energy and flexibility in your life. So that's why I created them was to give, was to teach people how to literally feel, take what I would become, you know, stressless cooks instead of still feeling beholden to some app, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, um, that was kind of one of my main questions around this too, was like, what do you keep hearing for people around cooking? And, you know, you've kind of just answered that question. But now my question is like, in breaking those myths, right? Like people can be so married to them. Mm -hmm. And like, even kind of what we were saying about unpacking the stories, people don't understand, um, like to challenge that, because in their mind, it's really true. So do you find as if like even the people who have big resistance around cooking or meal prep or grocery shopping and all this stuff, um, does it just take a little bit of a mindset shift or do you need to go a little bit deeper with that in terms of like getting them to find joy around it again or in the first place? A lot of people just don't like it, but you know, it's kind of a, if you want to make and eat real food, it's kind of a necessity. I mean, yeah. there are options out there. Our world is getting a little bit better at, at marrying the worlds of convenience and real food. But um, yeah. So tell me about like the, the people who have the most resistance around it and, and how, what advice would you give them to find more joy in the kitchen or around cooking again? Yeah, I mean, you make so many good points and it's such an important question because um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of amazing options out there for people, but in terms of like what, like actual like dinner food, like a meal, um, it just gets so expensive so fast. And not only, you know, like any kind of like dinner kits or those kinds of things, they do get really expensive, but also they still don't give you any freedom or autonomy to like figure out what works best for you. Um, yeah. So I think that it's a combination of a couple of things. I think one, if people want it, first you have to want it. You have to, you have to find value in cooking. And right. I think most people know that there is some value to it, but first they have to decide that it's important, whether it is for saving money um, or to figure out what foods they really like um, or to even just to have a time in the day that's yours that you can kick everybody out, like make that an enjoyable experience. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but first you have to decide why you want to cook in the first place. And once you decide it's important, I do think it's a combination of first, you do, you have to change your perspective and ask yourself the same question. Like we talked about in the donut scenario, I think cooking is, I don't like cooking or I don't want to cook because of X, Y, and Z reason. What is another equally valid perspective? Because you know, there are, and mm. so, you know, this myth that cooking is not going to, it's not going to taste as good as your favorite takeout dish. That is categorically untrue. Like those ingredients exist for you to go out and make the same thing. You can do it. And actually you can make those dishes taste even better to you because you can add your favorite sauce. You can add your favorite side to them. You can take away or, you know, whatever, like you can make food that tastes even more incredible to you. And it's going to make you feel better. Or right. um, 
it is it is completely untrue that cooking is super expensive. A lot of people tell themselves that it's it's you know expensive. It's only expensive because you don't have a framework or a structure. So what you're doing is going out and spending money. You're just throwing random things in the grocery cart and you don't know what to do with them. So you end up wasting a ton of stuff. But right. um, so it part of it is shifting those myths. And then the other part is what I just said, which is giving people a framework or a structure around it. And that's really what the meal plans are for is like that combination is like I the, re the reason I did the batch cooking structure, because yeah. what it does is one, I only release one meal plan per month. And I decided, I mean, I have plenty of time to do more. I love doing more, but I don't release more than once a month. I do have like a bonus breakfast plan that came out, but I really try to stick to that schedule because I want people practicing these plans. Again, it's not yeah. sexy, but it is super valuable and it will change your life to become proficient in the kitchen. The only way you do that is by practicing. So I want them to be practicing them. And then after a couple months of making the same meal plan, it's going to look totally different than what I gave you because you will have made it yours and you will cultivate yeah. your skill set. And also what I'm hearing from, you know, the people in my community is like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, half of, half of a day, maybe it's like the second half of your Sunday, but then they, they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my free time throughout the week. They're saving so much time and money um, because of the structure of this. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's both. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I think wherever you are with your cooking journey, food journey, what have you, I mean, you, they need to seek out your meal plans because you just, you offer such great, um, solutions to some of these very common problems and, one of them being, um, you know, that I always heard as a health coach was around kids and making um, healthy food, even though they had very picky eaters at home. Um, and I almost felt guilty while I was health coaching because I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have kids. Like I can offer as much advice as I can kind of drum up. But at the end of the day, like, and even though I had a lot of compassion, um, I couldn't fully understand. So I'm sure you have some mothers in your meal plan community. Yeah. Do you feel as if, um, what is something that you've kind of heard on that front? From moms in particular? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I think that overwhelm is an epidemic, um, especially for young mothers in particular. Mm -hmm. And now that a lot of them are homeschooling as well, they're just, they just don't have the mental and emotional bandwidth. And um, that's another reason why I, they, I think this has been a really good fit for them because for those people, maybe they don't have time to tweak the recipes or sort of like get creative with them. And those are the people who are like, the way that these meal plans are organized is making it so that yes, I'm going through the motions in the kitchen, but I'm actually saving myself so much mental and emotional energy because I'm not having to come up with the content yes. itself. Like that is what I think causes more stress than almost anything is the, is, is filling in the gaps. So I give you that information and it's your job to go in and execute it, but I keep it so, so simple. I mean, I even started like my first few meal plans for people who have been using my books for a while. Honestly, the meal plans, especially the first couple, they're probably going to be like, this is too easy. Like this is too simple, but that's what they're, they're meant. That, that is the point. It's literally like, it's so funny because with so many aspects of our life, we understand that you have to start with a foundation and build from there and you have to practice. Yeah. But we just think that we're supposed to like know how to become cooks. Like nobody's going to go run a marathon. Well, some people, but very few people are going to go run a marathon without a structure of when to train, how to train, to stay hydrated, to take care of your muscles, like all these things. And then you practice it and it takes time, but eventually you reach your goal. And again, you just have to decide you want it enough. And I personally think there is so much value in making your own food that you should want it. Like I think everyone should want to at least have a basic repertoire of some recipes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you practice anything and it becomes something that's easy and enjoyable. Yeah. And I think we have this, um, mentality around food that in order for it to be delicious, it has to be like fancy or complicated, but like, I want to remind people too, that it's simple. A lot of the times is, you know, I don't want to use the word better, but it's just can be, um, I don't know. I mean, it can just yeah. be the best route and 
you know, it doesn't have to be all that complicated, like a little bit of spice. Yes. But like also just like real fresh food is Mm -hmm. so good in and of itself as it was intended to be eaten. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Less can be more a hundred percent. That's been a part of my journey as well. Like it really is amazing. If you force yourself to just strip a few things away, there's just something that usually something that is easier and equally delicious, especially as long as, you know, I think there needs to be some kind of real food component. So, um, and, and I will just like a plug for your product. I mean, that is one of the things about it. It Mm -hmm. really it really is so, so simple that it's amazing that, I mean, I think the magic is like the ratio, like which you tested a million times to figure out that's what makes it taste so good. But the ingredients themselves are so simple. Yeah. And they're all just like, you know, the real food and I don't want to go too much on, on the gratified tangent, but a lot of people are like, Oh, but like, it has like a longer ingredients list versus like what you'll find in like a date based bar with like three ingredients. And it's like, yes, but these are also like engineered with real simple foods in order to keep you full and satisfied longer. Hence the gratified yeah. part of the, so yes. Well, um, like, and I'll just say like, I mean the date, Base bars, yes, they're real food, but like those can have a really, really, really hard on people's blood sugar. I mean, what mm-hmm. you've done is created a ratio of like fat, fiber, and protein and carbohydrates oh, that's like, like you said, like engineered specifically for that. So that's silly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my final couple questions. Um, so, what would be your favorite food and then your favorite meal to make? my favorite food and my favorite meal to make. I mean, I probably have to still go with like chocolate for my favorite food. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, I used to be like, when I was like really like hardcore, like everything needed to be like super healthy. I was like really into like really, really, really dark chocolate. I'm definitely a little bit more flexible and like kind of steer towards like middle of the road. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, like a chocolate almond. Like, oh my God. Have you had the new Trader Joe's chocolate almond butter cups? No. Cause Trader Joe's is like 25 minutes away from me. So okay. yeah, I never get to go there. The, I mean, I, I think I've seen you post about them before. They're phenomenal. So yeah, prob- probably chocolate would have to be my favorite food. Peanut butter is up there um, at mm-hmm. the top. Definitely. Um, I would say now these days, like a really good quality butter is probably up there at the top of my favorite foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the other question? What's your favorite meal to make? Oh, to make? Um, I mean, probably some kind of a pasta, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. now, because one, there are so many ways to have a pasta consistency that can be, whether it's a chickpea pasta or even like spaghetti squash, there's something about like a noodle experience that I just think yes. is like, so amazing. But even just with regular pasta, if that's something that you tolerate, there's, there are so many ways to add a ton of vegetables to it and to make it, you know, and use good quality proteins and that kind of thing. And so I just, when you're done cooking like a bowl of pasta and you just like hear the sounds and like, yeah. it's just so satisfying. Yes, I know. I've been doing a lot of the chickpea pasta and I finally um, have gotten basil to grow in, I don't have a garden, but it's a pot in my backyard. And like nothing is more satisfying than like going out there and like getting some basil leaves and like throwing it in the pot. And you're like, this is, and then it's just like that smell of like Mm -hmm. authentic. I know I'm right there with you. So good. Um, Okay. So my second to last question is what would be your dreams and aspirations for your career from here? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, right now I definitely can see more books down the road, but right now, Mm -hmm. honestly, my heart and soul is in growing this meal plan community. I would really love love to, I would love to reach people across the country who really felt like there was nothing that was actually accessible for them. Um, that, they, they find, they really find that niche where what makes sense to them and what they can actually get and afford meets like something that is an improvement for them. That's really what I want to offer. So, you know, five years or something, I would love to have, I would love to have meal plan members in every state and in every, you know, part of the country would, would probably be like my number one dream right now. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I think what's so great about, um, kind of like what you've touched on is that, um, your meal plans and your just overall message can be like 
just adaptable for anyone and everyone. And it's just like either people can like take it up a notch and um, healthify things if they need to, or if people are starting at a, a little bit more of a fundamental um, area, they can just kind of take it as is. I just think it's just um, so great what you're doing in such a needed service. Thank you. I want to hear what your yeah. <laughs> Well, I think like as of this point in the way things have unfolded, I'm almost just like, I don't know anything. I can't control anything. So I'm just <laughs> going to try and be as present as I can. And just, I think for me, um, incorporating an element of curiosity has been a game changer for me in how my path has unfolded because like, I never thought I would see myself here. Um, and you know, with everything that's happened and especially in 2020 during a very uncertain time. And, um, I think what it's taught me though, is how much I love gratified. And even though I didn't think that I would be in this position and I, um, I, I think growing this brand is, um, become something that's like super important to me, even though I got into it kicking and screaming, mm -hmm. I had a lot of resistance around it actually. So, um, and again, it was just all because of the stories. Like I never thought of myself as this businesswoman or this, um, leader or manager of a team or, you know, and I've had to figure out a lot and I've had to admit, um, on a daily basis that I don't know as much as I might've thought I once did. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's almost like, Oh, let's just see what would happen if I release this story and let's just like go into it with a little bit of more openness and curiosity and um, knowing that there is always a solution to everything. Um, but all the woo woo aside, I think I want Gratified to be um, a brand that people can trust. I want it to be a holistic brand, not just like I never saw myself as someone who's just selling bars because I'm not, I'm sharing something that I created years ago that as bold of a statement as it sounds, it made my breakfast and life better. Um, so I, I just wanted to share it with more people. Um, and, you know, I think the education piece is always something that's going to be a passion of mine. So, you know, kind of growing Healthified Magazine and um, seeing where that takes me. But yeah, I think it's just about impacting change. Um, you know, I know that you feel the same way. So um, you can just see what that looks like. Yeah, just, no way to know. just yeah. let's just see what it, see what's yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> um, all right, and because I ask everyone this question because I have a fascination with morning routines, um, I love hearing about morning routines. What is your morning routine, Larley? Well, my morning routine has changed. Oh my gosh, so much. I like am actually much more of a night owl and like a later morning person than I used to be. Stop it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I go to bed way later and I really enjoy it. Um, and mm -hmm. I just enjoy getting up later. So, uh, basically, you know, we wake up and, um, my boyfriend is amazing. He usually has coffee ready, ready to go. And then wow. I do drink the keeper. The oh, he is, he is a keeper. Um, so he'll usually have that going, but I force myself, I mean, I enjoy it, but I want to get my hands on the coffee, but, um, I drink this like morning elixir that I've been making for years. And yeah. sometimes it's more or less complicated, but right now it's basically lemon juice. I make a huge batch for us. I used to do single servings, but I make a batch for us to share and it's lemon or lime juice, apple cider vinegar, um, collagen. I'm using the guava passion fruit, ancient nutrition flavor, which is amazing. It's so good. And then I'll probably add like a little bit of stevia to it most, most weeks to make it um, a little bit sweeter. And so I try to have a pretty big glass of that. I've been biking a ton recently. And so I've been taking, doing magnesium powder in there, like maybe a mm. couple times because it has really helped with my muscles, but you have to be careful because I, uh, it can cause like digestive distress. So mm -hmm. you really just need like a little bit, but it has been good for joints. And then, so I come downstairs, I drink that, um, and have some coffee and, you know, I do get to work pretty quickly, but I really try with my work initially to not have the first, I usually now it is way less stressful for me to check emails than social media. I used to immediately jump into social media and be like, yeah, I have to answer DMS and that yeah. really 
serve me. So now like I'll answer some really easy email questions or something like that, or I'll write out some content. And then it's probably not for a couple hours um, until I actually start to like want to take in other people's energy over DM. Yes. Which and, is so important. Yeah. And I really do keep it really leisurely, a big, big believer in making the bed every day. So that's kind of my contribution in the morning is uh-huh. make that right away. And I'm also, I, I also think for me, and I think you, most people benefit from putting themselves together a little bit, even if they're working from home, which a lot of us are. I try mm-hmm. to, I stay in my pajamas for a little bit, but pretty quickly I do try to like go and clean myself up and put on like some real human clothes. And I do yeah. think that be more productive. Yeah, and for honestly, sure. I, just touching on food quickly. I mean, I'm not usually hungry. I think you and I both kind of went through this journey as well as like starting to actually ask ourselves, am I hungry in the morning? Yeah. And um, sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. Most days I'm really not until like 10, 30, 11. And then same decide what I want to have, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to be this like breakfast, lunch, dinner, two snacks, dessert type scenario every single day and eat as soon as you wake up. And that, I mean, I think that that's um, the magic of being really in tune to your body and in tune to those hunger signals and um, having those little conversations with yourself. I mean, people don't know that they can actually like work with their body to answer its calls. And um, yeah, I'm definitely a later, later in the morning breakfast eater myself. Yeah. What's your wake up time? Ooh, that kind of depends. Well, this morning it was 5 a.m., but that's just because I got a really good night's sleep and I went to bed early. Um, but typically it's between 6 and 7. Yeah. Um, I don't like to get up too much later than 7 a.m. because I do like that. those morning hours. I, I have about an hour and a half to two hours before I even look at my phone. Like my other team members here who – I would put them more in the millennial camp. They're like, what do you mean you don't keep your phone by your bed? And it's just like, no, it's in my kitchen downstairs. I do not look at it until after I meditate, actually, um, because those morning hours are mine. And I don't really want to have to, um, you know, like you said, take on anybody's energy until I absolutely have to. So, um, yeah, I would say definitely like between six and seven is my sweet spot. Nice. But I go to, I'm a grandmother. I go to bed at nine ten at the latest that is like it just (laughs) I honestly a lot of for me you know I've had a a journey with sleep issues and so I think a lot of it stems from just some some bad experiences over time so I just personally prefer to wake up when it's light outside like really light because of some of the issues I've gone through with sleep so it's just you know individual but yeah for sure well, thank you so much for taking the time I'm to have this conversation. It's so fun. I always love talking to you as always. I know. Um, well, I'll let you go for now, but um, I'm thank sure you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, no, thank you. Oh, before, yeah. tell everyone where they can find you. Ooh, okay. So um, you can find me on Instagram um, at Lauralee Balanced. And then my main website is LL Balanced. And when you look at the top of llbalanced.com, you'll see like a tab for meal plans to get more information. It'll send you there and a tab for my books that'll send you to the books. So that's just a great like kind of aggregate resource. Yes. Everyone needs to go check out those meal plans. Um, thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Dare. And you have a good rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Good. All right. See you, babe. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at gratified or my account, Sarah McLaughlin. Until next time.